We're in the third chapter of Mark's Gospel this morning. If you have your New Testament with you, thank you for being here. Those who are visiting, we're glad to have you with us this morning. This is a a very strange text in in some ways, and yet uh, a very true-to-life text for us. You you may recall at the beginning of chapter 3, the conflict between Jesus and the people... uh, uh, the house of Israel has already begun. In fact, he heals the man on the Sabbath day, the man who had his hand withered. And after he healed him, he noted the hardening of the hearts of those who were the unbelievers and those whose objective and whose interest was on themselves and on their own power. And the Pharisees were told in verse 6, Already, uh, along with the Herodians, they took counsel against Jesus how that they might destroy him. So the, the popularity of Jesus in his ministry didn't last long. And the problems that came with his popularity were obvious and they were serious. And the text says, that he went up and he taught the people, the multitudes. He, he healed those who had plagues against them, or those that had unclean spirits. And uh, then the text said he called the twelve. And then the text says, Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. That was quite a crowd and quite a gathering. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him because they said, he is out of his mind. This was the mother of Jesus and the brothers of Jesus. And they were saying of Jesus, uh, you you all be be patient here, give us us some time here. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. We we, we don't really know what's, what, what's going on here. This is what they were saying of Jesus on this occasion. And it wasn't the Pharisees. It was not the Herodians. It was not the, the ones that you might think were accusing him of being crazy. This was his own family. And, and so the text goes on to tell us in chapter 3 and verse 22. The scribes came down from Jerusalem and said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the demons he cast out the demons. They said of Jesus, though, Jesus was healing many of plagues and diseases. He was casting out evil spirits. And his detractors, confused, not understanding, unbelievers, resistant and hardened in their hearts, They said of him, this is of the devil. He does this with demonic powers. And if a kingdom, and Jesus called them unto him in verse 23, and he said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not stand, will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. 
but no one can enter into the house of the strong man and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man. Then he will spoil his house. What a strange thing to say. And then Jesus said in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, All their sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and their blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But whosoever shall blaspheme against the Holy Spirit hath never forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they said he has an unclean spirit. And there came his mother and his brothers, and standing outside, they sent unto him, calling him. And a multitude was gathered about him, and they said, Behold, your mother and your brothers are without seeking for you. And he answered them and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And looking around on them that sat around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Wow. Not, not one of the more obvious texts in the Gospel of Mark, and not one of the easiest texts to grapple with as it pertains to the life of Christ. The The thing that we generally see in the text is whoever sins and blasphemes against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. We immediately go there. We lose the rest of the text and the context. And we all secretly wonder. You don't have to raise your hand to already know the answer. We all wonder, have we committed the unpardonable sin? Have we done it? Is there no forgiveness for us? I want to say two or three things to you very quickly about the sin of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the, the, the miracles of Jesus were done by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter, nine, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, Jesus was blessed, endowed with the Spirit of God in His ministry. In Mark chapter 3, verses 28 through 30, it's obvious that he was doing his works by the power of the Spirit. Later, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to the apostles that the miraculous manifestations of the Spirit are all about confirming the deity of Christ and confirming the veracity and authenticity of the word of the gospel that was being preached. Jesus was performing his miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. And yet his enemies, his detractors were saying, oh, he's doing this with demonic powers. This is of the devil. And that's why Jesus said they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit, because this was not of the devil. This was not of demonic, satanic power that he was doing this. This was of God. And it was declaring that Jesus is God. And Jesus is telling them, nobody can be saved. Nobody can be saved while they are denying that Jesus is the Christ. You deny that Jesus is God, you can't be saved. And Jesus, don't deny that Jesus is God. There's no forgiveness of that. Why is that? Don't deny that Jesus is God because 
What did Jesus say in John 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. When we are rejecting Jesus as the Son of the living God, where's our salvation? It's not possible to be saved in our rejection of Christ. But he said this in the context of the larger situation where he had healed the man on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees and the Herodians had already plotted now they're going to kill him. He's continuing to perform miracles. He has called the twelve to himself. Multitudes are gathering around him, but the establishment is set against him. His mother and his brothers are worried for him. He's saying strange things. He's doing strange things. They they come for him. They, They honestly don't get it. They do not understand what's happening here. And they said of him, Back off from him. Leave him alone. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. You may think that was a strange thing for someone to say of Jesus. His own mother? His own mother? Do you remember when she was just a young, a young girl? An angel appeared to her and said to her, <clears throat> You're going to be with child, and from your womb will come forth the Savior of the world. That was Mary. And it's Mary who's saying, I, I, I don't understand what he's doing, what he's saying, what's going on here. He, he's out of his mind. And, and Peter, you remember at Caesarea Philippi, when, when the disciples were gathered there, Jesus was saying, <clears throat> who, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist. Uh, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Blessed are you, Peter. And, and then Jesus said, He began to tell them after he declared, I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Then he said to them, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I must go there. And I'm going to suffer many things there and be afflicted and die. And Peter immediately said, no, Lord, no, you can't die. And Jesus rebuked him. He said, get behind me, Satan. Peter was speaking up for him. Peter was thinking to defend him. Peter was thinking to save his life. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. Get behind me, Satan. It, It seemed crazy. John the Baptist prophesied from before his birth that he was the prophet who would prepare the the way for the coming of the Lord. 
John the Baptist, who spent his life preparing the house of Israel for the arrival of the Messiah. John the Baptist, who was considered by many to be crazy himself, he lived in the desert, he he, he wore raiment made of goat's hair, he ate wild locusts and honey, he just seemed like a like a crazy man in many respects. And, and yet, his whole life was dedicated to the preparation of the way for the coming of the Son of God. And at the end of his ministry, he's arrested by Herod. He is in prison. He's about to be put to death. His disciples are saying, hey, Jesus is out there preaching. His ministry is going great. Things are good. John said, go ask him. Go ask him, are you the Lord or not? Well, it just seemed crazy that John's in prison about to die. Jesus is doing nothing. He's out there preaching and telling people about the kingdom. And I'm saying to you folks, it's great, it's great to bask in the sunshine and it's wonderful when we're surrounded by the good things. But on the dark days of life when it's storming all around us, I suspect all of us have our crazy God moments. Those moments when we wonder, what's he doing? What's he thinking? How, how, how's this possible? He's, he's good? He, he's powerful? He knows. How, how, how do you reconcile? How's this possible? Is he, is he crazy? There are times when in the life of Jesus... There are times when he didn't make sense to people. Not to his own mother. Not to his own apostle. Not to John the Baptist who had spent his life preparing the way for his coming. There are times when, ladies and gentlemen, we just don't get God. And in those times, there are just three or four fundamental things. Okay, five. I'll tell you the truth. There are five points. There are just some fundamental things that we do well to remember when we're having a crazy God moment. 
when we're having a moment when it seems like he's out of his mind. It can't be like this. He cannot have said that. He could not be doing that. Four or five things to remember. Number one, it's always good to remember that he's God and we're not. I mean, we, we need to start at the starting place. So, sometimes with parents and children, we, we, we have this little exercise with our children. I suspect this has happened in your home from time to time. Okay, young man, let's, let's get something straight here. I am the dad. You are the son. Get it? Sometimes with God, we we need to start right there. And God said to his people, what is this business of you sitting in judgment of me and trying to tell me how to do my job? My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, you say, oh, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have done that. I, I wouldn't do it that way. Let me tell you something God said. I am God. And you are not. And you need to remember that. Since when, the Apostle Paul said, since when does the clay that's being fashioned by the potter, since when does the clay turn and say to the potter, hey, what are you doing here? I don't want to be made like this. Not your call, big boy. You're the clay. You let the potter decide how you're going to be molded and formed and shaped. When we're having a crazy God moment and it seems that God has said something or done something or is doing something or is not doing something and we just don't get it, one of the first things we need to remember is who we are. And we cannot remember who we are unless we first remember who he is. Secondly, we need to remember that God's plan is always the best plan. His plan is always the best plan. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to put a big red circle around that word all. You trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Trust the Lord. God said, I promise you something. You're never going to be challenged or tempted or tried beyond what you're able to bear. With every temptation will come also the way of escape. When when we are in the middle of a crisis... And we think that God has not given us the best way. We need to stop and rethink that. And one of the things I need to remind myself of when I'm having a crazy God moment is that there is never a time when I know better than God about how to do something. Thirdly, we, we need to acknowledge that sometimes doing the right things 
When I respond in a right way, it doesn't always bring about the result that I anticipated or even the result that I think is correct, is right, is just, is fair. In Genesis chapter 37, as you begin reading about the life of Joseph, how many times did Joseph do what was right? And the result, not what we would have expected. Here, especially in Genesis 39, when he, in a very magnanimous way, he resists the moral temptation of the woman who owned him. And the result, not at all what you would expect. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Thou art with me. And I'll tell you what we wonder when we're walking in the dark valley of the shadow of death. We're wondering, what am I doing here? Where is God? What is he thinking? I've done what was right. I've trusted in God. I've walked with him. I I have sat with him. I have lived for him. And now I am in the valley of the shadow of death surrounded by evil. Sometimes, when we're having a crazy God moment, it's because we're convinced in our own hearts that we did the right thing, and yet it didn't work out the way we thought it would. And the fourth thing I would remind you of is that God often takes a long time to do the very thing that we want him to do quickly. Sometimes he takes a long time time to do what we want him to do quickly and Peter said to those early Christians who are hurting and suffering and no doubt we're having several crazy God moments in their lives as the imperial cult was rising and Peter was saying to them don't ever forget God doesn't count time like you do Abraham, I want you to get up, pack your bags, and leave home. Go to the land I'm going to show you. Where are we going? I'm not telling you yet. It was a while before Abraham knew where he was going. And when he got there, the writer of Hebrews said, and and he obeyed God not knowing whithersoever he went. He just got up and left. And when he got there, God said, look around you. I'm going to give you all of this, but not today. (laughs) Okay, tomorrow? Nope, not tomorrow. Next year? Nope. Uh, Five years? Nope. Ten years? Nope. Come on, Lord, I'm 75 years old already. (laughs) Come on. How about 400 years? Over and over again, God made the promise. He repeated the promise. He repeated the... Did he keep his promise? He did. But let me tell you, sometimes it seems like it takes God a long time to do something when we want him to do it very quickly. But I'll tell you where we finally end up. When we trust God, when we place our faith in him, when we walk with him, when we refuse 
to turn away from him. And when we take with us the attitude of Job, who said to his wife and his friends and to everyone who was discouraging him uh, about his confidence in God, he said, let me tell you something. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If it kills me in this life to do what he says, I will do it anyway. And so, the Apostle Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 4, this light affliction which we bear for a moment. You remember in 2 Corinthians 11, that light affliction, when he talked about how many times he was beaten with stripes, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was in the sea, how many times he was hungry and thirsty and cold and, and naked, a light affliction. I'll tell you what, in the end, everything's okay. He would say later in Romans, the 8th chapter, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to usward. All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me very carefully. Because somewhere along the way, on a cloudy day in life, everybody has a crazy God moment. When it just seems that what God is saying or doing or how He's responding is absolutely outside the realm of rational thought. I want to remind you of something. Always judge God's goodness by the cross and in view of eternity. Don't try to judge it by the pain. And don't try to measure it by the day. The Jesus road seems crazy at times. It's the only way that leads to life. And I would tell you, if it was possible for his own mother and his own apostles at times to think that he was out of his mind, it's possible that we would go through a day or two where we don't get him. And those are the days we most need to trust him. We look at the cross And we see. And we trust Him. Even if in the moment we can't explain it. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, what a wonderful opportunity to obey the gospel of Christ and to put on the Lord in baptism this very morning. If you're a child of God and you need to come home to Jesus, won't you come right now while we stand and sing?